Chris read to us at the beginning of the service, I don't know if you, you were here for the whole thing, but um, the McGraths came up this morning, and Chris read to us a powerful passage of Scripture. John the Baptist uses it um, 700 years after it was first quoted by Isaiah, but I want you to hear it again. In Jesus' name, would you hear these words from Isaiah 40, 3 through 5, as the prophet comes and says, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. I said just a second ago, this is a passage, and I want to make sure we really get this with our hearts today. This is a passage that was recorded 700 years before Jesus Christ came, and yet the passage is about Jesus. Um, I had a friend who was actually saved through this passage and a few other uh, scriptures in Isaiah when, when it occurred to him one day, the prophet was writing about someone who is not even close to entering the world, and he nails him perfectly. He, he had studied all throughout the passages, the prophetic passages of Isaiah, and when he, when he read about Jesus in the Gospels, he said, this is an impossibility that someone could write about one so perfectly, so clearly, capture his heart, his movements, his salvation. He, he got Jesus perfectly as if he had known him all the days of his life. This could have only come by the Spirit of God. And in that moment, his eyes opened. He embraced Jesus Christ and he came to life. And it was just a miracle. This passage is a miracle. And what I want us to understand about it is here we are seven centuries before Jesus Christ comes and we get this not only prophetic, this prophetic promise that he'll be here and this is who he will be, but we also get specific instructions on how we can receive him. I mean, we receive here from Isaiah in these, these three verses specific steps and if we walk into him, everything that Jesus has come to do is ours if we, if we walk through this. Basically, what he's saying is, folks, God is coming your way, and it's important that you get ready. God is coming, and as he says at the end of the passage, everyone, everyone's going to see his glory, okay? Regardless of whether you are a believer, whether you aren't a believer, everyone is going to see the glory, the glory of Christ, but only some will receive it. Only some will get the maximum impact, the benefit, the blessing, everything that Jesus has come to give, everyone's going to see it, but not everyone's going to lay hold of it. And so he gives us here four, four simple instructions. He says, straighten roads, raise valleys. If there are mountains and hills, lower them, or they will be lowered. And then where there's level, rough ground. And what he's doing here is these are four simple metaphors that are calling every one of us, every human on this planet, to do just one thing. And the one thing is repent. Repent. I know it's a word that we hear the word repent and we go, okay, here comes the bad news. Here's where I get hit with condemnation. Here's where, you know, I can flog myself for a week. That, that's not the intention of repentance. Repentance is when we turn away from that which destroys us. You know, he, here the, there are hints of what we're talking about. You know, a me-centered life. I come first. Sin. What, what is the payoff of sin? Do we know that? It's death, Right? Darkness, depression, all of that. And these, these four simple metaphors are saying turn away from all of that. 
and all, all the, the spiritual distraction that comes our way and turn to God. Turn to the one who made you. Turn to the one who loves you. Turn to the one who's coming down from heaven and he's got one thing on his mind. And the one thing on his mind, going back to a few prophetic moments earlier, is you, your rescue, your life, my life. So turn your attention, your affections, and all of your activity towards God. This is our part. We do this. We repent. And then when Christ in his glory, right, we've been singing the whole service, when he shows up in his glory, man, we're ready for him. We're ready to receive him, embrace him. We're ready for something incredible. We get to experience his glory. I'm excited, right? Can you tell? This is fantastic. I've gone from tears to joy. This is amazing what he's come to do. But there's a question, and the question is this. What does Isaiah mean by glory? God's glory sounds promising, sounds positive, but what, what does he mean by that? Well, it's pretty simple. Uh, glory is, is, is a word out of Hebrew, um, kavoth, and it simply means God appearing and the heaviness or the weight or the wow of God happening in your life and in your experience. Glory, glory refers to two things typically in Scripture, and, and one of them is an external event. Something that happens around us, above us, before us, uh, typically not behind us, but something where, where God on the outside, that, that, that you know, our, our senses can behold it, God shows up and does something, and everybody's just left going, wow. You know, th think of the healings in the New Testament, or the, when, when Jesus delivers someone, and you always read, and the crowd turned to one another and said, oh my goodness, we've never seen anything like this. It's just, it's, it's, it's just they're just blown away. The, so external appearing of God, that's glory. But glory can also refer to God showing up and doing something wonderful, profound, and beyond our belief on the inside of us on the inside of us, not apart and away from us, but, but, but wonderful on the inside. And so you've got to realize, if you are an Old Testament person hearing this 700 years before Christ has come, you're kind of scratching your head at this point for a reason, and, and the reason is this. For the people of God before Jesus Christ came, God's glory was almost always, and I mean like 99.99, you know, just, you know, draw the line across the nines, right, after the decimal point. It's, God's glory is almost always an external event to them. I mean, almost always in the Old Testament. So, for his audience, these words pointing to a coming glory that's going to be greater than the glory before that's, that we need to, to do business with God for because something's going to happen here, this is radical stuff for his audience. This is foreign to them. This is way outside of the normal God-man relations. And I don't want you to get me wrong when we read the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, God was truly with his people. He was there for them. He was good to them. Um, God loved them in so many tangible ways. But in the Old Testament, as, as a believer in God in those days, you think of God and you think of God above you, God before you, God all around you, but God on the inside. See, for them, God was the one they went out to the temple to worship, right? I mean, God was the one, and you can think, think of the Exodus, right? God was the one who performed great wonders before their eyes. 
You know, uh, and, and all kinds of things. You know, uh, God provided for them. Think of manna in the wilderness. Think of water from a rock. Um, God guided them. Think of, you know, a cloud by day, fire by night. God protected them. Think of all, you know, the Old Testament thugs, right? You, know, you got Goliath. That's a big bad dude. Bad, bad Leroy Brown's guy. I mean, Goliath would stomp that dude. Big, massive, anybody. nobody can take this guy down. You've got armies of, of thousands and thousands before them. God shows up. External to them routes all of their enemies. But again here, Isaiah 40, a future where God is alive inside of them. God moves to the inside. Jesus, talking later about the temple of God within them, this is something that, you know, again, it doesn't quite compute for the Old Testament audience. But here's the thing. It doesn't matter whether they understood the full impact of it or not. What mattered for the people of God in Isaiah's day is that they lean into repentance, that they do their part, that they get ready for what what God is about to do. They just need to hear it, and they just need to step into it. A great glory from God is coming, and we need to prepare. I like the way John Oswalt puts it. If many of you are familiar with the great theologian, John Oswalt says, you know, for the Old Testament people before Christ, God's people experienced many of God's promises, so many of his promises, but what they had yet to experience was the promise, right? The, oh, the manger disappeared, the promised one, right? Look at the cross. They had yet to experience the promised ones. Even even the greatest among the Old Testament heroes they, they were kind of outsiders to this coming glory. They spoke about it. There's something in them that, that, that leans toward it, but they don't quite get it. And that's what Paul is pointing to, by the way, in Hebrews 11. You know, we have this great hall of faith, we call it, and all of these Old Testament people are listed. I mean, everyone that we would put a, put a cape on, right? A spiritual cape and a big superhero on the chest. We got Moses, Joshua, Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, David, Samuel, the prophets, I continue to go on and on and on. All of these were powerfully used by God. All of them saw God moved uh, mightily, and all of them were commended for their great faith, for their obedience. I mean, they were right here in this place, but none of them received what we have received. Or if you haven't received it, what is available to you this morning. Uh, verse 40, Paul, Paul ends with this. He says, look, God plans something better for us. And what, Bo, what Isaiah is pointing forward to in chapter 40 and what, I, uh, and what Paul is pointing back to from uh, Hebrews 11, what they're pointing to here is this radical Advent reality that we have. It's an empty tomb. It is that Jesus Christ has come to give life and life to the full through his death, through his resurrection, by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We would what? We would live and live to the full. They're pointing toward Ezekiel talked about. We we shared this a few weeks ago uh, in in a message where uh, Ezekiel 11, the new heart the new spirit within us, this heart of stone being taken out and and God giving us a heart of flesh. These Advent themes that we talk about, you know, for for, for the next four weeks, uh, peace, hope, joy, and love, this is our reality. These describe who everyone is. This describes the glory 
that we've received from this one, the center candle in the middle, that the, the, the cross points toward Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who is the light and the life of the world. And so today, what we're going to focus on for just a few minutes before communion is the second candle on this matter of peace coming to us from Jesus Christ. And if you have never really heard this before, just listen with all of your heart to Luke 2, 8 through 14, as one of the first things we discover about Jesus Christ when He shows up on this earth is candle number two. That night, there were shepherds staying in fields nearby guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory, from the verse today, Chris, the radiance of the, of the Lord's glory surrounded them. And they were what? They were overjoyed. They were terrified, as we all would be, right? They were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, in the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, and that's other angels, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Peace is right there for you and I, the night of his birth, from the moment he comes into this world. And this will not shock you now. Guess what Jesus is talking about just as he's about to depart this world. John 16, Jesus says, I have told you all of this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you'll have trials and sorrows of many kinds, but take heart. Peace is yours because I have overcome the world. So clear, so perfect, all of this peace. Paul follows up with this in Colossians 1, 19 and 20, saying the same thing. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything, okay? And how about everyone in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross? So look, Paul is saying this. He's saying, look, until Christ came to this earth, all of creation was in conflict with God, okay? And he's talking about created beings. You and I, human beings, we were in conflict with our creator. Why? Well, just rewind the tape, right? I and mean, that's not really rewinding the tape. Uh, you can't, uh, well, you have to do that somehow. I mean, I went to Betamax VHS. Rewind the tape somehow, right? Go all the way back to Genesis 3 to when peace was disrupted. Genesis 2, actually. Sin in the Garden of Eden. When we forfeited the peace, the harmony that we had with God. Oh, my goodness, before, before that moment, man and God walked together in the cool of the garden, in the cool of the day. Everything is right, but what happens? Mankind disrupts the peace through sin. Peace is fractured. The spiritual climate of Eden is just destroyed until Jesus Christ, who is the fullness of of God in the flesh, very, very important. Only God could bring this back. Jesus comes in the fullness, the fullness of God, and he reconciles. 
He resolves, he restores, he reunites us with God. Suddenly, here it is, here it is, the peace of God is ours. And just so we don't miss the, peace, uh, uh, the point, Paul, Paul points it out in Ephesians 2. He says in, in verses 17 and 18, so Jesus came and he preached what? He preached peace to you who were far away in the balcony, right? Peace to you who were near in the front row. He preached peace to all of us and through him, his death and his resurrection, we now have access to the Father through one spirit. Oh, goodness, just let that roll over you. Let that, let that sink deep into your soul. Now through Jesus Christ, Every one of us who receives him as Lord and Savior and God, all that other stuff potentially now can be gone if we'll allow it to be gone. You know, stuff like inner turmoil. You know, uh, inner turmoil is where you do everything in your life right. You know, I've got it, I fixed it, you know, I, I've set myself up, you know, everything's okay, but I still can't solve what's wrong in here. I'm still not okay in here. That inner turmoil, it's, things are just not quite right. Fear of condemnation. God, I've done every possible thing to please you, but, you know, I still don't measure up. I still don't hit the mark. All of that is settled. I use this metaphor this morning with the worship team because, uh, you know, it's been a crazy week for some of them. And I said, you know, it's kind of like the, the Sea of Galilee in Mark 4, the peace that Jesus comes to bring us. Remember what the Sea of Galilee is like in Mark 4? It's going crazy. You know, wind is blowing. I mean, it's like the weather started getting rough. Everything's being tossed. I mean, everything's going nuts. Winds, waves. Sometimes we are just like the Sea of Galilee. And yet we have a Savior who steps forth into the midst of the storm and says, peace, be still. And everything is calm. And things can be going crazy in our lives, but there's still this sense of being so settled, so secured. That's part of the glory that Isaiah is pointing at, that there was a peace that before Jesus, it's always just outside of our heart's reach, you know? And we just can't quite get it, but Jesus comes and it really is ours now. That's this greater glory that's coming. And I just say this morning, man, how is that for inner glory? How, how is that for God showing up and doing something amazing? But see, the thing is this. All of this can be true for us spiritually, and we can still miss the whole thing. You know, we can be like the ones that Isaiah talks about and says, you know, everybody's going to see the glory of God. We can, we can all kind of behold it together but miss the entire thing. And so this morning... We just hold up for a minute these four things, these four little things that Isaiah brings to us. John the Baptist reminds us of here that we do to gain the glory of God, the peace of God in our lives. If it is as if in our lives, the spiritual road between us and God is just cluttered. Man, it just needs to be straightened out. I mean, it, it's just, there's just so, much, so many obstacles between us and God. If, if this morning we are like a low valley that needs to be raised up, you know, it's like, man, our life is marked by frustration and disappointment and depression. Or if, if, if perhaps we're kind of like a mountain, you know, a high hill and pride, arrogance, um, you know, just, just kind of mark who we are. There's a selfishness there. Or if there's anything else that makes us like rough ground that can't be walked upon. Isaiah calls to us and he says to this generation and every generation, we need to deal with it. You know how you deal with it? 
in the kingdom of God? Number one, you recognize, I got some issues. By the way, the, uh, you know, John makes it pretty clear, the only person who doesn't have uh, issues or the only one who says they have no sin in their lives, there's a word for that person, it's a liar, okay? We all got stuff, okay? We, th- this fits us, all of us, in some way at any point in time. We simply go to God and say, you know what, God, I see it. And today, in Jesus' name, I just ask you, I ask you to forgive me in the name of Christ. And then you know what we can do? God, forgive me. We can receive Jesus Christ. The Prince of Peace moves in. Life goes, and y'all, I have been there. Listen, I grew up in a great family, you know, a pretty good life. My parents loved Jesus. I found out, though, one day God doesn't have grandchildren, right? I found out it was up to me. I'll tell you this. When e- even growing up in a Christian home, not accepting Jesus Christ, it was as if I had a gorilla and an elephant and a rhinoceros um, holding up the world like Atlas. I felt like I was walking through every day so burdened down, no peace anywhere, emptiness is just who I was. I came to this place and said, God, you know what? This ain't worth it. Lord, in Jesus' name, would you forgive me for my sin? I invited Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, into my life. I felt like I weighed about two pounds in that moment, just how God set me free. Chains fell off, and peace invaded my life. But see, here's the thing. Most of us have done that. Most of us have had this moment. We've prayed this prayer. But there's something very important, though, that we have to do as Christians after that. We need to realize that the the, the Prince of Peace doesn't just have one move-in day in our life, and that's it. We need to realize that we need to keep the peace as the people of God. It's very, very important that we keep the peace. And here's what's so unfortunate about a lot of believers. And if this isn't you, don't be offended. If it is, please be offended, okay? But a lot of us as Christians, what we do is we say, okay, well, to keep the peace, here's all I got to do. All I have to do is just have, I I, I just got to be real orthodox. You know, I got to be all about orthodoxy in my life. And if I'm just real orthodox, I will be a man of peace. Man, I'll be right in the center of salvation. I'll enjoy it. But see, here's the thing about orthodoxy. Orthodoxy literally means, um, it it means uh, right glory. And it has a whole lot to do with what is in our head, what we read off the page, has everything to do with what we confess, what we sing, you know, when we talk holy holy talk, when we recite creeds, you know, when we speak the word of God, we think, man, if I just know, believe, say, pray, and sing the right words, I'm good. And I want you to know this, all of that actually is good, but orthodoxy without orthopraxy is a dead end. It is, you know what orthopraxy is? Orthopraxy is right practice. Orthopraxy takes all that stuff that we believe and we hold on to informationally, right? And orthopraxy means how do you live and how do you love? When it comes to how do we live, here's, here's how orthopraxy hits us. When it comes to sin, we need to continue to keep ourselves as distant as possible from it. You know, the the wages of sin is death, right? That doesn't change just because Jesus Christ comes into our lives. When we wander back to sin, darkness rolls right back in. And I'm not saying you're not saved anymore, but I'm telling you, you will experience, I will experience the death, the darkness, and the damage of sin in our lives. See, what we got to understand is this. If sin disrupted peace in the garden, man, if we run back to sin, it will disrupt peace right now in this new garden that we have with Jesus Christ, this place of salvation. 
And listen, I understand nobody's perfect, right? Oh, please, don't, I don't wanna hear that. I've run into guys who are like, well, you know, I've never sinned, ever sin. Oh my goodness, please stay away with that. Listen, we all sin. We all stumble. We all fall. We all have a bad moment. We all sometimes have a bad season. That's one thing, but it is another thing for a believer to willfully disobey Christ and to embrace known sin. It, it will destroy our souls. That's part of what we're talking about here, but there's another part that's, that's maybe even a little bit more uncomfortable for us, and there's also the manner, the matter of how we love each other in the body of Christ, because it begins here, how we love each other as brothers and sisters in Jesus. You know, when I traveled for three years, um, traveled for three years, everybody knows this, I guess, just about, but I was the, the uh, chaplain of NASCAR, and so basically I did church services twice a week all over the country, covered, you know, 65, 70,000 miles a year, believe it or not, and I ran into Christians all the time, and a ton of people who had walked away from church, lots of Christians who walked away from church, or lots of people who gave the church a try and then said, man, I'm done with that. And you know what? There's a primary reason Okay, I mean, you, you hear a few different things along the way, but I heard something over and over and over and over again. And what I heard again, over and over again in one form or another was this. They would say, you know, I go into church and I listen to Christians talk and I hear them pray and I hear them sing and I hear them proclaim over and over and over the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then Turn right around and love one another. Love your neighbor out of this love relationship with God. So I hear all that, and then I go into church or I run into Christians, and what I see is contempt, anger, jealousy, spite, and offense all over the place. And listen, we can't bear that for the church everywhere in the United States, but I will tell you this, there is merit in that argument. The church needs to also hear this point and realize it is so damaging to a person where they come into a church and they rightly expect one thing, to be loved, right? Oh, look at these people, love each other. This is crazy. Why would I ever go anywhere? Man, this is family, this is home. Whatever they gotta, gotta have it. I mean, that's what they come in hoping to see but they see something else entirely. They don't see us keeping the peace. Jesus said this, I've been alluding to it for a while, John 13, 35, and he says, look, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So for every one of us, and listen, I'm not preaching at you, I'm preaching to Steve Keller too. I'm preaching to all of us everywhere, all over the place. But what about when we take this amazing gift of God's glory on the inside of us. That we now, because of Jesus Christ, we are loved, we are new, we are alive, we are free because Jesus Christ is my Lord and King. That man, the Prince of Peace has moved in here. I am secure forever, I'm different forever. In a sense, nothing can touch me. I mean, that, 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 that's kind of the message of the cross, spiritually speaking. What about when we take all of that and we enjoy it for a little while, and then we just toss it aside, and we go right back to judgment, contempt, religious pride, rudeness, me first? What does that tell the world? It's a good question, and I want to love you enough, and I want to love me enough to ask 
the question. What does it tell the world? Well, here's my answer to that question. I say we don't find out. I say we don't ever find out, right? Let, let's don't ever go there. When I was a kid, okay, I grew up in the Southern Baptist, the Southern Baptist Church, right? Because this was south of here, and it, was, it wasn't Baptist, it was Baptist. So I grew up in the Southern Baptist Church. Y'all, I did more vacation Bible school in 10 years than like 20 kids could do in a lifetime in any other church. But we had VBS, it seemed like, every week. And there was a song we always sang in vacation Bible school. The, the, the music is corny, but the words were a lifesaver to me as a child. And it goes like this. Uh, I'm not going to sing it. it. Okay, I will. All right. <laughs> I'll just sing you the first line. It went, let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. That song, it was like God said, I'm going to turn it on. I'm going to turn it off. I'm going to loop it all week long. That message has been turning over and over and over in my spirit. I'll tell you this, at the church of Jesus Christ, man, if we all came in with that heart into relationships and, and into problems that rise up in the church, all kind of stuff, oh my goodness, the difference we would make. So, Neil's about to do communion for us. Neil, I have made you wait long enough, brother. So, I'm going to pray for us. And today, because of the congregational meeting, we are not going to have um, a prayer ministry time. I'm, I want to treat this like that. I want to pray for us for just a minute and just invite you to receive that. Folks will set up communion. Guys, don't be shy. You're not going to bother anybody if you set the tables up. Let me just pray for us on this matter. Father, in Jesus' name, we love you and we adore you. And, and Jesus, I thank you, Lord, as I look at this candle all week long, this, this wreath, that you have come to bring us peace. And Lord, for you to bring us peace, it does, it does mean that we have to come to a place of acknowledgement that, Father, first of all, we need it, that, Father, we're in violation of peace, God, that we don't always keep it. But Jesus, in, in the name of Christ, in your name, we ask you to just be our Prince of Peace in this season where, Father, we, we can stop for just a moment. And as we get ready for communion and we realize, you say, don't come to this table in an unworthy manner. Examine yourselves. Lord, we take a minute to just examine ourselves. And, Father, where there is an offensive way in us, where we've been offended by someone or whether we offend people, Lord, where, where we have taken things the wrong way, where, God, we just get indignant or we want what we want, the way we want it, how we want it, just like this. All of that, God. Father, we just put all of that aside today in Jesus' name. And, Lord, together as a congregation, we straighten out the road. We clean the road. Father, we, we speak to the valley and just say, be lifted up in Jesus' name. We, we call those mountains of haughtiness down. And Father, we, we just anywhere we see clutter, Lord God, we, we, we just smooth out that road in Jesus' name. And we thank you that now we can turn to communion and Lord, together we can receive the body and the blood of Christ. And I thank you that Lord, on the cross of Jesus Christ, your blood was spilt. Jesus, your blood was shed to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And Father, I thank you that as we lean into that and ask forgiveness and we receive cleansing from you, that no one can call us unholy. You say that in the word, let no one call unclean what God has, God has made clean, what God has made holy, including ourselves. 
And so we just thank you. We receive, and Lord, joyfully now, we turn our attention, we turn our attention to your body and your blood in Jesus' name, amen.